How is it going, everyone? Hope your day is going great. I welcome you to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get into today's episode, I had a quick question for you. If you're listening, have you ever been an investor anymore? Have you ever put money into an entity to end with an expectation of a return? Hmm? Some of you, not all of you. Well, now is your chance. You can be an angel investor in Forward Thinking Founders. The podcast. And no, you don't got to be an accredited investor. All you need is $10 a month or $100 a year. Now, what does this get you? What's your ROI? Well, it gets you a ton. First of all, you don't have to listen to me pitch you this every single episode. So you bypass all ads and all future sponsorships. You get premium content as you get the full episode of every single episode that comes out, as many of them are kind of blocked halfway through. You get access to our online community where you get to see access to the episodes sometimes days before or weeks before they hit the uh, before they hit the internet. And lastly, you get access to our in-person meetups, which we are having the first one in San Francisco in late January. So if all of that sounds groovy and you want to help out a fellow creator, which is me, and help me kind of invest into this podcast to make it better, then please become an angel investor in forward-thinking founders. How do you do it? You can find our terms and our, our sheet and all of our documentation at glow.fm slash F20R. That's glow.fm slash F20R is best done on mobile and i look forward to having you as a supporter now let's get into today's episode run it all right how is it going everyone welcome to another episode of forward thinking founders where we're talking to founders about their companies their visions for the future and how the two collide today i'm very excited to be talking to zach brown the creator of haiku zach Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thanks, Matt. It's going fine. Another uh, Monday in paradise. Another Monday in paradise. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I am very excited to learn more about what you're working on. And I know that, that everyone listening is as well. So with that, let's just dive right into it. Can you tell us a little more about Haiku? Sure. I'll start with our mission. Haiku's mission is to revolutionize the way that teams create software by unifying design and code. Uh, Or in other words, we create collaboration tools for creators of software. Um, And I'm curious, a question for you, Matt, what what does that mean to you, creators of software? Who is that? Well, if you asked me two years ago, I would say it's, it's people who are in you know Node.js or React, and they're building these these complex apps that we all use. You know, we're using Zoom now. You know, that's a complex app. I think that's what I think of software. But I am, but more recently, uh, I don't have a fully fleshed out definition because this um, this tool is being built you know, like no code tools that are allowing a lot of people to build basic apps, not super complex, but basic apps. Um, so I don't have a great answer other than it's TBD, but definitely people that build complex apps. But I think within a few years, even uh, even most people will be able to build basic apps, which I think might qualify as software, you know, software builders. So, so yeah, I think the, the low code, no code uh, sort of movements are, are worth digging into a bit. Um, 
at least for a framework for, for speaking of creators of software. Uh, for me, it, it helps to think of creating software like creating a building, like, like the things that uh, you and I are each respectively sitting in. And the most obvious creator of a building is the construction worker, uh, the man or the woman with the hammer and the nails and the saw. Um, but creating buildings really is a larger team effort. You've got uh, real estate developers and investors. You've got engineers across electrical, structural, and HVAC. You've got construction managers, even interior designers, landscape architects, lawyers, and accountants. Uh, all of these people come together as a team, and what comes out the other side is a building. Now, software is exactly the same way. Uh, so you've got your software engineers, the folks who are writing Node and, and React and um, Objective-C, Swift, Java, etc. That's the most obvious answer to who creates software. But the broader term includes a ton of other specialists, like visual designers, UX designers, product managers, marketers, uh, branding folks. So that's what we mean when we say collaboration tools. Uh, connecting creators of software is bringing those folks together uh, because the status quo for those folks working together, it, it kind of sucks. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to edit this little section out. Um, okay. All right. So uh, uh, that is a super interesting kind of description and I really like it. And I, I like that it's more than just the people punching the code, writing the code. It, it, it's everyone, everyone building the building, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear, um, for, you know, with Haiku, are you, is it broken up um, into different products? Is there a main product that, you, that you're focusing on? I'd love to hear just kind of what this looks like in practice. If we have a development team or even just a startup listening who might want to uh, find a tool that helps with collaboration to build software products. Can you dive a little deeper into what Haiku does and what some of the features are? Sure. Uh, so first, there's not a single cut and dried answer to that question. So I'll give just a tiny bit of context to help answer it. Haiku, the company, has been around for three and a half years now. And during that entire time, our mission has remained laser focused, exactly the same mission revolutionize the way teams create software by unifying design and code. Now, this is a very hard problem. Um, for decades, there have been companies uh, growing and, and dying trying to solve this problem. It's a startup graveyard. Uh, it's another way to put that. And we uh, have tenaciously hung on. Now, we've had a few different shots at this, a few different takes. We have a product out there today called Haiku Animator which was our initial flagship uh, approach to solving this problem. Um, it, uh, it channeled a lot of Macromedia Flash slash Adobe Flash, um, a topic I could talk at length about. Uh, but essentially, in short, uh, as much hate as Flash tends to get these days, the creation environment did a few things right, uh, namely it allowed uh, design, animation, and code in the same environment, and it allowed what you created in Flash to ship to every device with the same experience. Um, so sort of based on that kernel of understanding, uh, we sought to create a, a Flash without the problems of Flash, uh, and that was Haiku Animator. Um, 
we've pivoted a bit since then for a, for a whole slew of reasons. We reduced the ambition of Haiku Animator to be an animation tool. Create animations, ship to production. Uh, it allows you to create Lottie files, which is this popular open source uh, animation uh, library that came out of Airbnb. Uh, Haiku Animator allows you to create these animations that ship to production and thus solve this one tiny piece of the design to code uh, gap, specifically around motion design. Now, today, uh, sort of post Haiku Animator uh, pivot, we have set our sights on the design system world. Now that's a buzzword. Uh, design systems are complicated. <laughs> uh, you ask three people what a design system is, you'll get at least four answers. And uh, what is undebatable is that um, more companies are adopting design systems every day. And also that the real main purpose of a design system uh, is to deliver a consistent brand identity efficiently. That's why companies invest in them. Um, so, so anyways, Long, long story short, uh, we have pivoted towards design systems because that's how the world is thinking about bringing design and code together. Uh, and all of that comes down to this uh, project, which we just launched open source last week, uh, called DS, which is the Spanish number 10, D-I-E-Z, uh, that's ds.org. Uh, and it's a design language framework specifically for companies uh, that have iOS, Android, and web code bases where they want to deliver a consistent visual identity. So I'd love to hear um, when you, you know, you know, oftentimes startups, they have obviously they build a product and then they, they launch it out into, into the world hoping to, uh, to, you know, get some attention, get some traction and then build on top of that. I'd love to hear because um, I don't think we've ever, ever talked about this on the show. How did you think about launching Diaz and uh, um, what went into that preparation and what, you know, what, how has it been since it's launched? Uh, launch? I'd love to kind of dive into the launch aspect of it. Sure. It started with research. Okay, so Haiku, the company, we raised a uh, $3 million seed round on the heels of Y Combinator. Uh, which we came out of in uh, 2018. We didn't really announce this. Uh, we never did like a press anything about this. So we've been fairly silent or quiet about the our fundraising situation. So we raised the seed round uh, based on the uh, inflection of interest we're getting in Haiku Animator, but realized soon after that we weren't going to be able to achieve our goals on the chassis of that product. So money in the bank, optimistic team, some revenue coming in with this product that simply wasn't going to make it to, you know, to venture scale. Um, so we stepped back and said, asked ourselves, um, with this mission to unify design and code, uh, like, is there a better way to go about this? And uh, design systems were on our radar. Uh, and so we did some more research into them. And that's, that's through that research and talking with users uh, was how we gained the conviction that this was the direction we needed to go. Um, 
when we're going through Y Combinator, one of the first uh, talks that we received uh, from the YC staff was from Sam Altman, uh, who at the time was the president of, of Y Combinator. And he, gave, he went through this deck of just startup advice. And one of them, let's see if I can paraphrase this, uh, was you cannot create a revolution, but you can carry the banner for a revolution. You can lead a revolution that's, that is already uh, uh, taking place. And that was kind of the, the difference we saw in Haiku Animator was, you know, let's, let's recreate Flash. Let's <laughs> create that revolution again, even though the world doesn't really want it versus this design system revolution is going on and there's no clear leader. There's, there's no one who's really taken up that banner just yet. So it was that research, that understanding of the market that led us to get into the design system world. Then through relentless uh, conversation after conversation after conversation with prospective customers and users, we identified a particular value prop that was underserved, which was cross-platform uh, native iOS, Android, and web, sort of this source of truth for design systems um, that still embraces native platforms instead of steamrolling them uh, a la Flash back in the day or a la Flutter uh, or a la React Native, which sort of sidesteps the native uh, situation. So yeah, it boils down to research, uh, talking with prospective customers, figuring out a, a gap in this, in this market, and then uh, creating a tool which fits into that gap. Definitely. How do you, when you were going through the user interviews and talking to potential users, how were you conducting yourself and were there, how do you think about those user interviews? I think a lot of people listening are aspiring founders who they, they ha just have an idea that they want to just push into the world. And uh, what, you know, what I've learned a decent amount of time ago, what, what they'll learn is that no, you gotta, like you can, you gotta have some pushing, you gotta have some push and push it, but you also gotta like push it into someone else, someone's arms who, who wants a version of that. So I'm curious, how did you think about taking feedback, listening to it, not listening to it, et cetera? Okay. So we did a few different kinds of research. One of my teammates is a, uh, like a formal uh, UX researcher. That's, that's uh, how she describes her, her job, her specialty. And um, so she has this, and she's also very type A, like does everything very organized, very by the book, uh, which is an incredible force. I, I tend to be more uh, fast and loose myself. Um, so we, we did a whole slew of formal user interviews, abiding by a script, making sure not to like contaminate user feedback, um, video recordings, uh, uh, um, analyzed after the fact, clustered into <laughs> themes, this was uh, her style of research. And so from that, we got this corpus of, of wonderful data. Um, my approach has been to sell. And uh, I think this was one of the things drilled in by Y Combinator, but essentially if you're not trying to sell something, you're never gonna get sufficient commercial validation 
You're going to get people telling you like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, and then when you put a price tag on it and drive them to, to close the deal, then you get the real feedback of like, well, actually, no, I don't want that, <laughs> for example. And so that's been sort of my approach, even though we don't have the, th well, now we do. Uh, in the first six months that we didn't yet have the thing, I was selling it, being like, all right, you know, here's the thing, here's the value prop, here's how great it is, here's the problems it solves, and here's the price. <laughs> and um, I think between those two directions, the sort of bottoms up empirical, careful research and structure, and the sideways in sort of, here's the thing, now buy it. Um, I, I, we've been able to synthesize the two of those into a pretty, pretty solid thing, I think. Definitely, yeah, that, that's, that's super, super useful um, and, and good to know uh, for people that want to get on the entrepreneurial path. So let's kind of go back to uh, what you are working on with, uh, with Diaz. So I will totally admit this is not my world. I am not a designer myself. There, I'm on your website now. It looks beautiful, by the way. It's a great, a great brand. But I don't, I, I don't understand it, this stuff super well. So I'm kind of curious. It might be a challenge, but I'm curious. Like to someone that doesn't understand how code design speaks to each other, asynchronous, you know, whatever it is. Can you describe to me like what the the breakthrough with with Diaz is, and what like kind of the killer killer almost killer app of it is? So then the people that do understand how this stuff works is like, oh my gosh, I gotta use Diaz. Um, can you um can you try to explain it to me like I'm like you know like an investor and is trying to learn more about it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you already said the magic word uh, when you when you were complimenting our designers' work on the website which was brand. Now that's the, that's the crux of the commercial situation here is, is brand. Um, brand is, <laughs> uh, it's a sort of like pop business talk, but brand is often considered uh, one, of, one of, if not your company's most valuable asset. It is reputation. It's how uh, consumers or customers respond to your identity so it's the sum um, of all experiences good and bad um, like matt how do you feel about uber i don't feel super in i don't know i i don't feel anything i, I just feel like it's a, it's a taxi app <laughs> okay uh, do you have a favorite uh brand of clothing a favorite restaurant I, I, oh yes, I definitely have a favorite restaurant chain. It is, uh, it's a local chain, uh, but it's called Chop Shop. Okay. And why do you love Chop Shop? I love Chop Shop because, well, many reasons. Um, the biggest reason being it's healthy food that is filling, that has Wi-Fi, so I can eat, have healthy food, and do some work. Additionally, more of a sentimental reason, uh, but I had my first date with my girlfriend there, so just in my head, I'm just like, I, uh, it's, it's kind of like that, but I took her there for a reason. Right. Um, and I also just love it. It makes me feel good about myself because I'm eating healthy, but I'm not eating a little, I'm eating a lot. It's healthy food and I'm kind of a bigger dude. So I feel good about myself after I leave. It's also just very colorful and fun to walk into. Okay. Awesome. Amazing. So you have forged this sort of emotional connection with chop shop. 
and and we all do this all the time like all day with every brand that we interact with we forge these emotional connections good and bad and everywhere in between and they fundamentally affect how we um, talk about them with our friends talk about them on podcasts uh, choose to spend or not spend our money there etc so that that all comes down to brand comes down to reputation comes down to that emotional bond now companies that manage their brands through marketing and, and other branding efforts um, they seek to to manage those sorts of emotional connections in aggregate so imagine um, have you ever had a bad experience with a banking app yes okay I, I pick up banking because often the apps are shoddy <laughs> um, yep. Okay, and so we don't even need to to uh, put any particular bank on a pillory here, but um, that memory has probably stuck with you. And when you think of that bank, between shoddy app experience and who knows, maybe some overdraft fee or some time when it was just like really annoying to get on the line with customer service, every one of these dings that you've had with them stacks up as a bad experience and in, in the long run really damages that emotional connection with the brand. Okay. Now software, let's finally get to DS here. Um, software is a vehicle for that brand in much the same way that the lighting or the paint or the furniture or the menu design is a vehicle for the brand at chop shop or, um, or uh, the app is for, for that bank that, that you and I have both ha had bad experiences with. Um, it's important that that software deliver that brand identity in a, in a way that's consistent with the brand strategy. Normally that means good, <laughs> good UX, delightful, etc. But it also means consistent. Um, Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola. It has a really strong identity. You see that logo, you know exactly what it is. You see Coke Zero, you know it's part of the Coke family. Um, that's what it comes down to is with Diaz is these especially larger companies with big brands that they've invested a lot of money into. It's very painful and very expensive and they do it anyways because it's worth it to deliver a consistent visual identity wherever they ship software. So iOS apps, Android apps, web apps, mobile web apps, etc. Um, what Diaz does is it makes it radically more efficient to do that while embracing these native platforms. So particularly companies that already have native properties and are already investing a bunch of money getting that brand identity, that visual identity consistent, uh, their hair is on fire and they, they just charge right, in, right into it anyways. Uh, Diaz puts that fire out for them. Got it. That was a very good explanation. And uh, I love your kind of analogies for it's not just about software, it's brand and everything has a brand and brands extremely important for software products and non-software products. Um, speaking of actually the, the, the bank, I'm not going to mention the bank that I thought of when you said think of a bad experience, but let me tell you, when I found a bank that was a good experience, it made it that much better because that all the other banks were, were so bad, and they actually, I'm just gonna give them a shout out. Uh, Imad from Mercury, um, 
Like yeah. Mercury is the greatest bank I ever, like I have three accounts on Mercury for, for different things I'm doing and I will never leave another bank again or I'll never leave that bank again. So, so it's a small Silicon Valley, but Imad is one of our investors actually at Haiku. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. He's, he's the man. He also is the fastest email responder I've ever met in my life. He will get back to whenever I, mean, I don't email him that often, maybe five times throughout the last like six months. But he always responds within two hours. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, um, cool. So you, you're working on Diaz. I think what, the way that you described it to me, I think this is pretty awesome. My co-founder, Jeremy, will love this. He's a huge brand guy. Um, so I'll share this with him. I'd uh, love to kind of dive a little bit into just higher level, you know, above D- Diaz and, and Haiku. Love to just get a peek inside of your brain and thinking and just kind of peek inside of like what are some things that you spend your time thinking about as a founder when you're, maybe you're not working on Diaz or Haiku. It could be problems in the world. It could be friends that are working on cool things. It can be startups, investments, you know, whatever. But I always find that the founders have really interesting minds and. Uh, um, and uh, I'd love to hear if you kind of just what, what's going on in your head uh, and what you spend your time thinking about. And if there's a topic that kind of like you're, you're that's been ringing around. Hmm. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of why I have dedicated my career in this startup uh, to to this problem of changing how the world creates software is because it's probably uh, probably like my core passion uh, in in life at least thus far. Um, so now I'm feeling like I'm maybe just a really boring person, but that's well. Right. <laughs> Well, something I'm, I mean, well, I find that there's a lot of founders that come on that are so, they, they, they work on, they're so in what they're working on um, that that's just kind of what goes through their mind, which is awesome because it means their head's down. But I do want to dive into one thing we were talking about earlier in the show um, that you said, I mentioned no code and you said that that kind of deserves a, like a bit of a look into I'm curious, you're, you know, you're working with, with developers. Are you, do you think no code is a good thing? Is it a, is it a bad thing? Does it threaten developers? Um, This has been a hot topic on the podcast the last like 10 shows. So I'm curious, just like, what are your thoughts on it? Good or bad? Hmm. So I think actually my feelings toward no code are generally, generally skew a little negative. And, and I'll explain why. Primarily because it's exclusionary. It, it rides under the banner of, um, of like you can, you can be a creator of software uh, without writing code, which is cool, but it does it in a negative way, which is get rid of the code. And the problem with that is there are people who have dedicated their livelihoods to writing code and so it's sort of um, polarizing, disenfranchising, threatening to tell, the, to tell those folks that their livelihood is going away. 
this this also leads into this the sort of vision that that I see for the future of software creation, which is fundamentally collaborative, not exclusionary, but that we are creating the same things, whether or not you write code. That's I mean that's the future I want. That's that's the future we're driving towards. Whether or not you write code, you can create software. Um, now. We could wax a bit philosophical, maybe on what that means, why that's so important. Um, it's a, that is a topic I do have some passion around. So, so software, like what, what is it? <laughs> it's at the core, it is a, um, it's a language uh, akin to human language, like the written word. Um, and like human language, software offers unlimited expressiveness. So in the same way you can express roughly anything that you're thinking in words, you can express any sort of logic in a computer program. Uh, now there are a couple differences. Unlike human language, software code uh, clamps down on ambiguity uh, because computers, computers don't like that. <laughs> you gotta be very precise. And so part of the art of expressing thoughts into the logic of code is how to do so in an entirely unambiguous way. Um, now the other, the other huge difference between human language um, and, and code software is that software doesn't only tell a story like a book does, but it dictates action, okay? So it's not just a script, it's the combination of the script and, and the actors, if that makes sense. So, so like in combination with hardware, which is what the software runs on. Uh, the hardware itself is an inert skeleton and the software animates it. And what it does at the end of the day, some sort of like Nikolai Tesla shit, but at the end of the day, um, software lets you control electricity. And so with this bridge between our brains to logic, to electricity, we can control anything that electricity can control. Okay, um, so, okay, think of it like this. It's, um, our brain operates exactly the same way in that it sends out these little zaps of electricity. And so if you tell your finger to move, it's done so through this intricate sequence of electrical zaps. Brain sort of brokers logic, synthesizes things and says, all right, time to move the finger. Uh, computers do roughly the same thing but the finger in, in a, like a modern computer might be uh, um, um, millions of tiny light bulbs, which illuminate at different relative intensities such that our eyes can see the picture of a cat, for example. <laughs> or a computer in the same way tells a magnet to uh, cause a diaphragm to vibrate in the air in such a way that our ears can hear music. So that's um, to, try to, to try to make that controlling electricity thing a little bit more concrete. That's, again, the magic of software. Brain, our thoughts uh, become, through software, we get augmented with this sort of digital prosthesis to do whatever we can imagine with electricity, be that controlling robot arms, driving cars, building cars, you know, launching space shuttles into space. Um, so, that's the power that creators of software have, is that if you can imagine it and 
and whether you or someone else can hook up the electrical side of that robot arms, all the engineering that goes behind that kind of stuff. If you can imagine it, uh, you can orchestrate things beyond your own body. You can control them. And so it's really fascinating to me to imagine the future where who creates software becomes a broader, more inclusive set of people. And Haiku, you know, we've got the next 10, 15 years on lock, <laughs> bringing designers, artists, managers, all of those sorts of folks into the fold alongside developers to create software together. But then the next 50 years uh, might get a little crazy. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, a, that's, again, a fascinating topic. We'd be happy to dive a bit more into that. Yeah, you definitely have, uh, uh, I would say, unique, almost like a very unique way to explain something that, that I, you know, I, have a, I have a lot of, I have a lot of software developer friends who, when I've like learned to code, sometimes I've tried to learn to code, they've tried to teach me, but like the way you just describe it is unlike a way that I've heard before. And it paints, it, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting because it's almost like, it, it, I could be wrong here, but it feels like you're, it's like the brand of program, the brand of coding, you were just kind of like painting a, a slight brand of it for me, which was, <laughs> I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that, that, that's what, that's, that's what I thought. I, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, wait, anyways, um, well, I have a couple more questions for you. For sure. Uh, so uh, you have uh, had you know, you've been on this journey with Haiku and Diaz, and you've been you've been kind of doing this entrepreneurship thing. And there's a lot of people that are listening who want to start a company. They you know they want to get into YC, they want to get funded, they want to change they want to change something in the world that they think needs to be changed, but they don't know the best first step to to get there. Uh, what do what advice would you tell them to? get out there and, you know, build, build something like that. Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll preface this with, there are certainly more seasoned experts on this topic than I, and any advice I'm going to give here will likely be even subconsciously just parroting what someone else has, has told me. Um, and so, and the YC community, for example, um, has a lot of um, like popular knowledge about this kind of stuff. Uh, going around. So one of one of those pieces of advice is start by identifying a problem that's close to your heart. Um, a lot of founders tend to be experts in one particular area and uh, maybe have been like really at the forefront of a particular industry, like say manufacturing robotics. Like if you've been at, at the forefront of that industry, you might know a particular problem and maybe also a particular solution that the world really needs. So kind of focus on what you know um, is one piece of advice. Um, talk with others <laughs> is, is um, an, a necessary complement to that, especially it can be easy to fall into this sort of tunnel vision or like echo chamber of size n equals one. <laughs> where you think that you know what the world needs because you need it or you want it or you've seen it, um, but that does not make a market opportunity. So validating that by talking with others and understanding what the world wants and needs, um, there's probably a delta between that and, and your own like, personal take on it. 
Uh, and so, and the only way to uncover that is to talk with others. Um, especially if you are a creative at heart. And so for example, you're like the way you work is writing code or the, the way you work is designing UIs. Um, it can be challenging to get out there and talk with others. Um, but I guess that's what this advice boils down to is do it anyways, find a way, go to meetups, <laughs> um, be proactive with outreach, reach out cold to, to random customers or people, uh, people in other communities, reach out in their Slack communities, there are uh, Spectrum, uh, GitHub, like there are people out there uh, and just, just reach out. Um, what else? I don't know. Maybe that's unless you got other prompts for me. It's, no, that no, that's good. It's um, it, it's the most valuable advice you can give because it doesn't matter if you, like, the idea is important, but you have to get out there to the real world and just and because those people are gonna be your investors, your customers, people you work with, your your mentors. If I, you know, like, you gotta talk to people. If you don't talk to people, then you're just you just are dreaming, and that's it. No execution behind it. So I, I think that's great advice. My last question for you is, uh, this is a newer type of question that we ask here, but it's one of my favorite questions. We got a whole community of people that listen to Forward Thinking Founders and uh, they are always interested in helping people who come on the podcast, uh, you know, if they can. So, uh, so I now always make it easy for them by asking uh, every guest um, if there is an ask that you have for the community or a uh, something you need help with or something you're trying to push, how can the forward thinking founders community help you at HiQ? I'll need just a second on that. No worries. If it helps, some people say, you know, it, their answers are about hiring, some are user acquisition, some are fundraising. It, it, it could be super basic stuff, but it, it, it's, um, it, and it could be very small. It doesn't have to be big, right? It could be something super small that someone listening can just do in a second, even if it's liking a social media post, but any ask, anything you need help with. And if you don't have anything, that's chill too, but we wanted to make the offer. Okay. Yeah. As it, I mean, as it relates to our mission at Haiku, revolutionizing the way that teams create software, like if, if you're into that mission, <laughs> um, as, as all of us are on our team, uh, one way you could help us with that is uh, give Diaz a shot. Check it out. It's at diaz.org, D-I-E-Z.org. Um, if you're not a branding person, nor a UI designer, nor a UI developer, nor a product manager, <laughs> uh, loop one of those folks in. Share it with your team. Uh, essentially, if your company or or any company you know is investing in consistent visual identity, consistent visual design across code bases. Uh, we, we put a lot of time, effort, design, and care into creating DS to be a really stellar solution for exactly that problem. Uh, and so, yeah, that would, that would help. Boom. All right, you all heard it here. You know how to help. And you know how to, uh, you know, the website. So check it out. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I love talking to guests in the world that I don't spend much time in because I get to learn a ton, even if it's slightly uncomfortable and I don't know what I'm talking about always. 
but you do. And that's the point of the podcast. So thank you for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge with us. Sure, Matt, thanks so much for having me on. This has been fun.